a lot of times, you know, investors will look at a company and and say how it, it moves on a hockey stick curve, right? So slow growth along the blade of the hockey stick, you hit that inflection point and you go start going up. I think that's where Maine and its innovation economy really is right now. That's Jake Ward talking about investments, technology, business growth, and development, and the dynamic place that the Maine economy finds itself as the year 2023 unfolds. As the Vice President for Innovation and Economic Development at UMaine, Jake has spent more than three decades working with companies big and small to develop products or cutting-edge technology, get advice from researchers and experts at UMaine, and solve many kinds of problems, all in an effort to help start and grow those businesses and the workforce. I'm Ron Lisnett, and this is the Main Question Podcast. As we kick off Season 8, we take a dive into the past and future of the Maine economy. It's always been rooted in the abundant natural resources found here. The forests, waters, and farms still form the backbone of that economy today. However, many of those resources are sort of getting a high-tech makeover. Waste wood and sawdust are being broken down on the nanometer scale, that is one billionth of a meter. Those tiny bits can be made into fuel, medicines, and countless other useful chemicals that scientists are just starting to understand. Artificial intelligence is rolling out. Manufacturing is going high-tech. Research on printing 3D houses with bio-based materials is well underway. Maine's also the home of some exciting new alternative energy projects. Helping to accelerate and expand those efforts is the SPIRE office. We do love our acronyms around here, and this one is a mouthful. SPIRE stands for Strategic Partnerships, Innovation, Resources, and Engagement. The mission for Jake Ward and his Associate Vice President Renee Kelly is to connect the resources at UMaine with companies and others who can tap into those faculty experts, or maybe they need a lab or pilot plant to test new products. Perhaps they're having a problem with invasive pests or chemicals like PFAS. Spire helps solve those problems and get young companies off the ground, or in many cases, help existing companies and the workforce grow. In Episode 1 of Season 8 of the Main Question Podcast, we talk with Jake Ward and Renee Kelly and ask the question, what does the future look like for the Maine economy? Thank you both for taking the time. I think a lot of folks are interested in the topics that you guys deal in every day. So that, uh, that should make for an engaging, interesting conversation. But maybe let's sort of pull back and try to get the big picture here. Um, the Maine economy, I mean, it's safe to say Intel's not going to open a $10 billion factory in Maine or Tesla's not going to have an, an auto manufacturing plant. But... There's a lot going on, um, you know, besides those big projects that you see elsewhere. So talk about that, the 30,000-foot view of the main economy. Strengths, weaknesses, misconceptions, how would you characterize it? You've, you've been looking at this a long time. I think the, the, the fundamental strength of Maine and Maine's economy date back to uh, when Europeans first came over and settled Maine. You know, we have always been a natural resource-based state. And what's been uh, pretty incredible, and, and Renee knows a lot more detail in her review of invention and innovation over the history of Maine, is that um, we're a birthplace of so many uh, inventions and technologies that have helped uh, benefit from the natural resources, so fishing, farming, forestry, um, and continue to see those as major parts of our economy, as different, very similar to many other natural resource-based states, but... Um, more and more, uh, the nation in the world is looking back at natural resources as the fundamental building blocks of everything. 
So coming full circle in a coming way. full circle, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And and I would I would build on on that and say, you know, what the world is really looking for now are alternatives to fossil fuel, you know, in less expensive energy, um, clean sources of food, and and those depend on our natural resources. So we can we've been doing research at the university, for instance, on turning trees into all sorts of products that would replace fossil fuels in packaging and building products and, and all sorts of applications. Maine has the opportunity to help solve the world's problems. Small companies and startups, those are sort of the bread and butter of the Maine economy. Can you talk about that, that ecosystem and the feeling of entrepreneurship that, that is uh, seen throughout the state? Yeah, well, obviously we are, we are a small business state. Um, in 95% or so of uh, the companies in Maine are classified as small businesses and that ranges from the you know the individual working out of their their home to what in Maine we might consider some of the larger businesses in the state you know ones that have a couple of hundred employees but um, I think one of the things that has really grown over the last 20 years is among those small businesses, uh, focus on innovation and and doing new things. When I first joined the office and started working with Jake, and we were working on uh, trying to turn some of the innovations that um, happen here at UMaine into new economic opportunities for the state, one of the things that we found is we didn't have a strong base of mentors or people who'd been there done that like you know if you if you go to Boston and you ride the T you can find someone who started a company before probably just by talking to the people um, who are in the subway car so what's really happened over the last 20 years is a build of the culture to support small businesses innovating in Maine and that's going to serve us well for our future growth. It's it's a different way of getting it done as opposed to those big you know big ticket factories that we talked about. Instead of a couple of home runs, it's a lot of singles and doubles, right? Yeah, certainly. And I I don't want to dismiss the fact that we have some very remarkable larger companies, strong companies that are still fundamental. I think you know you need you need the large, you need the small, you need the in between, and uh, that creates the ecosystem. And and important of all that is you know if you want. If you want financial institutions, banks, and you want insurance companies and all the things that support companies, a lot of them are, are here because we have some larger companies. And that means that there's, um, you know, other services, consulting services, lawyers, you know, all that stuff. So you have a robust ecosystem that smaller companies and startup companies can take advantage of. People have uh, commented on our pulp and paper industry over the years, right? 1900, it was the largest, uh, Great Northern was the largest paper company in the world. A largest paper factory in the world. Um, certainly not now. There's nothing there, but uh, you know, there's a robust paper industry still and expanding and expanding around green products and and new markets and the way we've changed from digital, from printed, and all that. And so, you know, the legacy is still there. And those companies do the larger companies, companies like IDEX and WEX, still provide an important part to this ecosystem that that provides the uh, ability for smaller companies and startup companies to thrive, the whole supply chain. Right. So we love our acronyms in, in higher education. So the latest one we have is SPIRE. Mm-hmm. Tell us about SPIRE. What, what is its mission? Why was it created? What's new about it, if anything? Or is it just a sort of an iteration, the net latest iteration? Well, 
I'll, I'll maybe talk a little bit about the why Spire, um, and, and Jake can fill in the blanks on, on what's changed. But um, one of the things that we've found over the last several years, we started, or most recently we've been the Office of Innovation and Economic Development. And uh, over the last several years, while we've, we've always facilitated partnerships between um, nonprofits, businesses, government agencies, and the university, um, strategic partnerships were really where we were spending a lot of our time in order to enable innovation and talent development to happen. So uh, the name change to Spire is in part to put strategic partnerships at the forefront and as part of the mission of the university. And Spire, spell that out for us. What does it stand for? Strategic Partnerships, Innovation, Resources, and Engagement. Rolls right off the tongue, right? Just just as easy as anything. <laughs> the, the website talks about three major initiatives. Can you give us maybe some examples? One is serving as the R&D lab for, for main businesses and companies. Yeah, certainly. One of our, uh, as I would call the modern age of R&D in, in the state, uh, started in the late 1990s, and that's when the state began investing in um, not only the university R&D, but things like the Maine Technology Institute for Companies and some of the other programs. So the modern age of R&D is when the university decided to be a little more aggressive about growing its R&D and, and really thinking thoughtfully about bringing, uh, building facilities, uh, and I would say modeled on some of our, our pulp and paper and, and other of, of labs that have capacity and real-sized stuff, right? So um, if you look at our, our different facilities, their pilot plant scale, their commercial equipment, their things that are would be representative to a, to a company of what they would have in their own if they were going to do it. So by building that capacity, we can now offer that to companies and be able to do the R&D that they may not have the in-house capacity to do. And similar in that um, with not having many large companies that have their own R&D and innovation departments, uh, the, the access to our, our talent, our infrastructure, our innovation means that R&D can happen here uh, like many other companies and large companies in Silicon Valley might do in their own spaces. Right. I want to circle back to the yeah. facilities here in a second, but another key initiative that, that you talk about is sort of what you alluded to, commercializing products or technologies, taking it from the bench top to something you can sell and make a profit from, right? That's another yeah. key key function. Key function, absolutely. That's And, and, and talking about being R&D labs for us or for our companies is the ability to do what we would call fail fast, fail cheap, but rapid cycles of innovation, being able to take it all the way to a product that you can put on the market. So whether we do it with our own stuff, uh, innovations coming out of our federal research, or in partnership with a company, supporting a company who's trying to accelerate their development, that, that, absolutely. And a lot of these companies wouldn't be able to do this development Correct. were it not for these, these uh, resources. That's it, exactly. And then the other piece, the third piece, is workforce and community development. Can, can you talk about that? Yeah, so um, obviously one of the biggest challenges in Maine right now, uh, given the demographics of our state, is um, workforce. Um, companies are struggling to find employees, and they're being more thoughtful about how they build a pipeline of potential employees. So um, we work very closely with 
companies as well as state partners to to think about how to build that talent pipeline and, and help connect with the relevant people at the university to either align programs or build programs that can support those workforce development needs. And then going back to the innovation and economic development, also ensuring that we have healthy communities and communities that are sort of ready to receive the talent and the innovation that we're helping to generate here at the university. So major investments, you talked about in the late 90s, you know, a concerted effort was made, but major investments have been made in the research capacity labs and such. I imagine when you take people on tours here, they're sort of taken aback sometimes by how much is here and that they didn't know about. But um, can you walk us through some of the major facilities that these companies or, or others are, are accessing and, and what it's doing for them? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, if we looked at it from a historical perspective, uh, you know, what was in the early 90s, late 90s, our pulp and paper process development center, our laboratory for surface science, now the first lab, which is um, uh, semiconductor type fab and all that type of things. Our food and food pilot plant uh, allows for production of, you know, product, uh, food product development, testing, consumer kitchen. We swing over to some of our aquaculture resources, whether they're located on campus or off campus, you know, big tank systems that allow us to grow uh, aquaculture species in a recirculating systems and things like that. Uh, the Advanced Manufacturing Center, which is a you know a super cool product development prototyping with every kind of machine tool, additive manufacturing, robotics that you can think of, uh, 3D printing in metal, uh, and then I'll, I'll sort of wind around to the Advanced Structures and Composite Center, which is now you know 100,000 square feet of facilities for large-scale testing of structures, composites. Uh, things like wind blades, bridges, uh, buildings, our, our wave tank that allows us to test our floating offshore structures and, and boats and things like that. So, I mean, we have the full circle of everything there. Also, we have our IMRC, uh, which is um, intermedia. It, it's sort of the virtual reality lab. Our VEMI lab gets into those types of things. So there's a lot of, lot of things that have big, shiny things, right? So we show off the big, shiny things because that's what people like. But embedded in every other building is a lab or a facility that's, you know, where fundamental uh, research is being done, students engaged at the bench, at the lab. So, you know, we can go from the the wicked small to the wicked big, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Nano to macro. That's, uh, that yeah. sounds like a marketing uh, <laughs> yeah. slogan right there. And, and it, in addition to the facilities and the labs and such, there's the people, of course. There's Absolutely. the researchers and the faculty. Can you talk about, you know, connecting companies with them or faculty and researchers starting their own company? That, that Both things happen, right? So we like to refer to the, the sort of the assets as our talent, you know, faculty, staff, and students our innovation, the ideas that they can come up with, the infrastructure of the labs you just mentioned, and investment is, whether it's state or federal dollars, resources, private sector dollars. So the magic is really in the talent, right? I mean, it's what we as people think, how we think, and how we can connect people, sometimes creating uh, environments where uh, uh, unintentional collisions happen, right? So meetup spaces, things like that, where we bring people together around an organizational meeting or a topic, a sector. So how do we get companies and, 
and faculty and staff and students talking to each other to get to those points. Very often we're bumping into companies throughout the state, throughout the country at conferences and workshops. Sometimes they see a publication, sometimes they see a news story, and that gets the juices flowing and that gets it. So getting them together and actually starting to think about, and I can't tell you the number of times we brought a company in who had a very specific problem they wanted to solve. By the time we've talked through it, we've got them, you know, we're, we're totally down a different pathway. And so constantly co talking, it's really the, the creative mindset that brings people together. You got to be agile, that's for sure. That's so can you talk about the mix of companies? You talked about the legacy industries, the farming, fishing, forestry. Those are still traditional strengths, I, I would imagine. But then there's totally new and emerging sectors, you know, AI or some high, other high-tech, uh, you know, technologies that are out there. So what, what's sort of the mix that we're seeing in Maine right now? Well, the state has, when it started making those investments that Jake referred to, it targeted seven technology sectors. As a, so it includes those traditional industries that you you just mentioned, but it also includes uh, biotechnology, information technology, environmental technologies, um, as maybe some of the newer newer emerging um, industries in Maine. And I think you know what what's really kind of neat. I think is that we're now seeing sort of the cross-pollination of those things. So for instance, I mentioned, you know, we, we have technologies that we've developed at UMaine using wood material that are now being incorporated into biotechnology devices or, um, or applying artificial intelligence to forestry and mapping, right? So the magic really comes when I think those intersections happen and those create real opportunities for Maine that might not happen in some other places yeah. around the world. This just sort of occurred to me too that, you know, traditionally for many economic development uh, initiatives, Maine was sort of at the end of the pipeline, you know, geographically and in other ways. But with some of the technologies you're talking about, that's where we're moving to the front of the line. It's 180 degrees in some ways, right? Especially in the in the areas like the the biomaterials, bio-based materials, nanomaterials, as we start looking at how to convert wood into its constituent properties and look at using it as a building block to replace uh, petroleum, petroleum-based, uh, as, as Renee said, said, you know, there's some biomedical, but uh, also reinforcements into bio-based plastic that lead to the first 3D printed home. Um, some of the, the stuff that's being used in, um, we're actually using it as a, a a carrier to put uh, vaccines in in fish you know so there's just a tremendous you can do just about anything with it you put your mind to it uh, using uh, cellulose nanofibrils or CNF or nanocellulose as we call it so there's just a and, and we are right now we're the world's leader in the production of that material and making it available for research applications so we're sending samples all over the world all over the country as new people new companies are looking at how to use that material for Maine, it's an opportunity to take some of our lower-grade waste residual wood and turn it into a feedstock that can support uh, just a tremendous amount of opportunity. To some extent, we're still on the ground floor of a lot of that, um, but, but things are happening fast. Yeah, I was going to say, this is totally in its infancy. And just so everybody knows what we're talking about, nano, as I recall, is a billionth of a meter. A ten, nano, ten to the negative ninth. Ten yep. to the negative ninth. So you're breaking down a tree into bits that are that small, and because of that, they have these properties that we are just beginning to, at the you know, first base of trying to realize what's possible with them. That's it. 
it, and and there's a lot of phenomenons of of cellulose, and it's not just trees, right? Any kind of cellulosic material can be broken down into these cellulosic fibers. But we're really just starting to understand, and still don't understand all the biological, physical properties that are when you put these things together, and so they they tend to. Um, not be biologically reactive, so things don't grow on them. So you think about um, infection and contamination and things like that. There's resistance to all that. So if you are going to use it in biomedical applications or surface applications, there's. But people still just don't really understand the true mechanism there. Um, as we start looking at reinforcements, when you when you're at that scale, the fibers are as strong as steel, and so we we now have some composite. Of, of these and other materials where we're getting the same performance of, of uh, steel or carbon fiber or things like that. So really trying to understand the fundamental drives the application. At the same time, a little goes a long way. Uh, you know, a little bit added, it, uh, it really can improve the strength of things from everything from packaging and paper to composites to just about anything. So really incredible. We have an annual summit every year and should be here next summer when that goes on because it's just mind-blowing what people are trying with this. And the best thing about it is they, they are, um, you know, they grow naturally. They can be recycled. They can be com composted. Um, they sequester carbon when they're not going back out to the atmosphere. Uh, just, um, you know, as far as looking at the future of our environment, they check all the boxes. So when you're raking your yard or cutting the grass or picking up, uh, you know, getting logs out of the woods, that's a laboratory. It's, uh, it's, there's all kinds of stuff in that. Every one of those little fibers built those, built those trees, built those leaves, built those grass. And when you pick it up and look at it and say what that does in the environment, don't you wish you had a, uh, something that you could build that would be as robust as that? Absolutely. So everybody knows about the research centers in the country, the Research Triangle in North Carolina, Silicon Valley, or Austin, Texas. Does, does Maine have the potential to have that kind of thing going on here with something like nanocellulose or, or, or other technologies or other businesses? Yeah, to, to, be, you know, to be perfectly honest about when you look at those environments, you know, there's, um, will Maine ever be a Silicon Valley? I don't know if we want to be a Silicon Valley. I don't sure. think we can be a Silicon Valley. The concentration of people you know, the, the volume, right? So there is some sort of natural occurrence of, of uh, you know, entrepreneurial innovative in, in how many people per 100,000, right? So, you know, if you've got five or six million in Boston at lunchtime, then, then you've got 500 entrepreneurs, right? Well, we don't have five million people in the whole state, right? So there is, there is some, something that has to do with volume and the aggregation of those and the aggregation of the research institution, not a single institution, the aggregation of the venture capital. And, you know, a lot of that research triangle and, and those started decades and decades ago. So um, would that model replicate anywhere today? Hard to say because the world has changed so much. Uh, you know, the thing that's great about um, the Internet and, and everything is that you don't need to be there anymore because even if you're here, you're connected to all that. And I think one of the things that uh, we've seen a little bit change from during the pandemic is the investment dollars that used to drag you there, right? So if you had an innovation, they wanted you to be in those centers, are now saying, no, you can stay where you are. We're okay investing with you because we have our touch. We have our reach. We can do that. So I think, I think what we're going to see over the next 
you know, few decades, I think we're already seeing it, is the distribution uh, of innovative companies are going to be further around. So do we create an environment for the kinds of companies that want to be here, that should be here, that can be here, and will we see the growth in that? We're already seeing that, right? So will it ever get to the scale of a, a research triangle? I think that's, you know, my great it's apples and oranges. My great grandkids are going to figure that one out. But right. but in the environment today, we're, what we really are seeing is, as Renee said, the companies that have been there and done that, so they can mentor that. You know, if if your if your great grandfather was a shipbuilder, then you knew how to build ships, and your son, your kids knew how to build ships. But if your great grandfather was an entrepreneur, right? So how do you how do you learn from the generations ahead of time? And now we're starting to see that. That those people being here, being able to nurture and help grow the next generation. And for the people who love Maine, you can be here and, and you can have your you cake can be anywhere. too. Right? You can be anywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, so talk about Spire and the assistance it can provide to companies that are dealing with issues that they have no expertise in. Uh, you know, rising sea levels, PFAS, changing crop ranges, pests, what, what have you. That, that's another function of, uh, of what's going on here. Yeah, we, so certainly we help connect companies to the expertise that can help solve them, solve some of those problems. And if we don't have it in-house, we will try to connect them to the right resource outside of the university. And in some cases, it might be appropriate for, you know, a student uh, course to work on a problem. So we try to, you know, assess what their needs are, understand the the timeliness of the the project that they have and and match it up with the appropriate resource which might be a wide variety of things. Now we talked about student entrepreneurship in, in a previous podcast and um uh, had a had a student who was starting a company uh, be involved in that episode. Can you can you talk about um, that whole aspect of things, and in general, how do these startups fit into the overall picture? I mean, you know, st- start young, right? I mean, yeah. and who knows where you're going to end up, right? <laughs> that that that's absolutely correct. So, as we had some of the the challenges early on in trying to transition research um, out of the university, one of the things that we identified was that 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 experience base and culture wasn't. Um, there yet to support it, and it's grown tremendously since then. And and one of the ways we wanted to address that was to get them while they're young and get them thinking about opportunities to innovate and start companies and and have those aspirations as well. So um, supporting student entrepreneurs is a is a key part of building that that culture um, and creating opportunities for the state. And I, I think by getting them young we are often more likely to root them here in Maine. Um, I often tell students uh, that, you know, they can go be a small fish in Boston or, or elsewhere, but um, in Maine, people are here to help. Um, there are resources available, and they can, they'll, they can potentially make a lot more progress. Um, any idea how many startups have come from student projects? Uh, or rough rough off, guess? Off off the top of my head, um, I would say we've probably, we've had hundreds of students come through with business ideas, those that have carried them forward after graduation, probably 30 or 40 um, companies and um, you know, really diverse ones as well. And some of those end up being um, smaller individual, you know, small business opportunities and other students are taking things and building things that they anticipate will be global products. Right. Wow. Jake, how long have you been at this work? You're a young man, I know, but... Uh, 
Wow, 32 and a half years. 32 and a half years. So you have, you know, as much of a unique perspective as anybody. Um, Based on that history and your knowledge, take us out five, 10 years. What do you think, what do you think we'll see? What are some of the major developments or trends we might uh, be looking for here? Yeah, so um, a lot of times, you know, investors uh, will look at a company and and say how it, it moves on a hockey stick curve, right? So slow growth along the blade of the hockey stick, you hit that inflection point and you go start going up. Um, I think that's where Maine and its innovation economy really is right now. We're on the, we're pretty much have been on this uh, slow, steady growth over the last couple decades. And of course, you know, the economy goes up and down during those periods. So we've had some pretty interesting times where um, the 2008 recession, we saw a big slowdown, you know, and we started to get going again. And then COVID came, we've seen a slowdown. So I think now we're, you know, the path is pretty interesting right now with the way the world is developing, the way markets, the way consumers are. And I think we're, we're pretty close to being on that inflection point where, you know, our, our innovation-based economy is going to start, you know, taking off a bunch, much quicker. Um, things in the pipeline, the way the attitudes, the, you know, just the buzz, the feel is that we're, we're going to be um, seeing a lot more, uh, you know, success breeding success. So, Any prognostications you'd care to share? I, well, I think she better Jake, not disagree with. No, me. I, I was <laughs> just going to say I think Jake is right. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a it's a combination both of the culture and resources, the environment that we have been building in Maine, and by we I mean obviously us, but also our many partners across the state building this environment, but then also the market opportunity and and the removal of some barriers anyway to that growth. So, you know, the fact that it, as Jake said, investors are more willing to invest in things that are farther away. But then again, going back to that that market opportunity, our natural resources are uh, an incredible asset that most other places don't have right. anymore. Right. And we do. So we have the opportunity to leverage those to to meet the demands of consumers going forward. And, and I just because I was going to say, I think you said it right there, the consumer uh, is really embracing and demanding um, you know, the, the, the greener, the cleaner. And, and I don't think that's just a fad. And I think, you know, the, the transformation from a petroleum-based economy has to happen. There's just no choice uh, for all sorts of reasons. And, and, and some people will, I mean, there'll be things that will be the last things to go, and there'll be things that are first things to go. And I think, you know, just where we're seeing, even if you just look at the automotive industry and, and you know, people saying we're going to, have 100% electric cars by 2030 or 2035. Ten years ago, you wouldn't have said that. Five years ago, you wouldn't have said that. So that's a that bolsters so many other th- aspects of that. As you start to, you know, look at those supply chains and start getting to the attitude of electrification and all that, and obviously the, some of the challenges of that renewable energy source having more electricity drives that side of it and you know battery storage and battery technology drives that side of it so you're seeing that reformation of a lot of things right now maybe akin to you know the advances of of petroleum you know post world war 2 into post world war 1 into world war 2 or maybe the um, you know the beginning of the IT economy in in the you know the 70s and 80s Two phones, wow. He forgot airplane. Or that blasted <laughs> cell phone economy <laughs> right, yeah, right. that started with the iPhone, right, right. which is um, 
you know, changed the world for a lot of people on a right. daily basis. Now, you, I, it strikes me that both of you need to know uh, a, f uh, a decent amount of information about a lot of topics. Is that fair to say? I mean, you're, 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 you, you can't do... We keep our eyes and ears open to everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Yep. Great. We're curious generalists. <laughs> okay. I like that. That's, that's pretty good. Well, exciting times. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Well, thank right. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, as always, for checking us out. You can find all our episodes on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, UMaine's YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook pages, as well as Amazon and Audible. Send us a note with a question or comment if you have any, mainquestion at maine.edu. This is Ron Liznett. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question.